Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 55, which begins with Max and Jesse laying together by a river, and it ends exactly the way it began. It's a deep minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all about feelings. (laughs) Feelings and daddy issues and (laughs) sitting together. It's, It's a lovely minute for the end of a week. Because it's relaxing and it's not too frenzied. We've all had a long five days. And actually, no, this minute was, or this week was actually not that bad (laughs) as far as like content's concerned. But yeah, it's been a week and a half since we lost Goose. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. Yep. R.I.P. Goose. Anyway. So. (laughs) This minute is unique because... Like Rick Ollier in The Phantom Menace referring to Coruscant, this minute is one big scene. We don't cut. It's just Jesse and Max on the side of the river with, you know, Max doing that thing where he talks and Jesse doesn't get a word in edgewise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually counted out how long this continuous shot was because it started yesterday. It goes all today and then it finishes up tomorrow. This continuous shot is nearly 1 minute and 35 seconds. I think it's specifically 1 minute 34 seconds and like 26 frames out of a 30 frame per second setup. Yeah. So close enough saying 135. Yes. It beats out the scene between Bubba Zanetti and Toe Cutter in the back of the ute as far as like longest scene in the mm-hmm. movie so far to take the top slot. Okay. Yeah. So I'll have to update the spreadsheet. Yes. <laughs> I don't actually keep a spreadsheet for how long the scenes are. Really? Yeah. Or how long the shots are technically. Okay. I'm surprised that you don't. Of all the things that I do spreadsheet. A spreadsheet for everything else. So, so Max goes into... Telling Jesse that he has a hard time communicating his feelings. Mm -hmm. Yep. He says, I've never been able to say things to you, Jess, about how I feel. Guess I always counted on you understanding. Yes. And it made me wonder how they managed to form a relationship and get married. Yeah. If the feelings side of things is hung exclusively on Jesse's side. And she actually, when he says that, she actually opens her eyes and kind of gives a look. Yeah. And I know exactly what look she's doing because I do that too. And I think a lot of people do that look. Yeah, because at the beginning of this minute, she's got her eyes closed. She's kind of touching him and whatnot. And yeah. And he brings up that whole, I've counted on you for understanding. And she opens up like, like, what? Like, really? So... It's like, oh, now you under, now you, you catch on to that, Max? So this sounds like a very uneven relationship to me. And that got me to thinking about the five love languages. Right. Which I don't know a ton about them. I've never read the book. There's a book by Gary Chapman about the five love languages. And there's also a website if anybody wants to go find out more about this. It's five, the letter five the letter five, the number five, 
lovelanguages.com. And there's all sorts of resources there to find out more. So the basic concept is we all have different ways that we express love and different ways that we understand love. And there are five. And they are words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Mm -hmm. And they're pretty self-explanatory. I know I am an acts of service person and you are a physical touch person. Yep. And it can be really helpful in a couple to know what the other person's love language is so that... I, for example, I perform acts of service. I take care of you. And that's how I show my love for you. I cook you dinner. I sometimes make the bed. I, you know, keep the house. Things like that. That's how I show my love and how I participate in our relationship. And if you did those things, I would interpret those that as you loving me. Mm. But that's not how you show love. Right. You show love by physical touch. Yeah, I'm much more touchy-feely. I know that. So I know that when you rub my back or you hold my hand, that you are showing me love. So it's really important for a couple to understand what each other's language is. Yeah. It just helps you get a good grip on the other person. And, you know, if you feel a certain way in a relationship where you feel like you're not being reciprocated... Well, Maybe then it's you a good are, chance. And you're just not understanding what they're saying. Exactly. Because they are saying it in a different way. Yeah. Because you haven't found someone that speaks that exact same love language as you. Right. And I don't know how common it is for two people who speak the same love language to have a relationship. I don't know. I haven't, honestly, I have not done hardly any research into this. Mm-hmm. If you want to know more, fivelovelanguages.com. Right. But that would be an interesting relationship. I mean, honestly, for a second, let's just think about it. If you have two people whose love language is physical touch, they would like always be, always be like stuck together. Yeah. And always be constantly holding hands, PDAs, and just always touching each other. That would drive me nuts. (laughs) And And that would make you so happy. It would. It would. Um, but can you imagine how clean the house of two people who share the love language of service would be? Oh my gosh. Like they'd be scrambling See, to do things around the house. See, that makes me happy. Like yeah. the thought of that makes me happy. <laughs> Going on the vein of five love languages, I noticed during this conversation, Max goes on to tell a story. And I was watching Jessie the whole time and she doesn't say anything because mm. that's her MO right now. And she is, like, just running her fingers over Max's chest and stomach. That must have been so difficult for her. I know. I know. She's so lucky that she got paid for this. <laughs> or else it just would have been unbearable. I can just imagine George Miller going up to Joanne Samuel and be like, all right, so I in just, this scene, you're just going to have your head on his chest and you can just, you know, play with yeah, his abs this, or something yeah, like this that. this area here is your playground. You know, <laughs> she probably said, <laughs> I can do that, George. Yes. <laughs> Step back. I know what I'm doing. Yep. No need to get the stunt people in here for this. <laughs> so I went back to previous scenes with Jessie and realized that almost every time that we see her, she is touching Max in some way. Mm-hmm. And actually, now that I think of it, so the first time that we see her, she is um, one of the first times. She's drying Max's hair. And I remember noting that that was kind of odd. Like who washes their partner's hair and then dries it for them well somebody who expresses their love through physical touch that's who Mm -hmm. so during that scene 
when Mel Gibson is just draped in a towel. She's all over him. She's drying his hair, then she wraps her arms around him, um, does a little bit of stroking his chest with her fingertips. Her her legs are kind of wrapped around him. Um, so there's that example. And then also when they're down by the beach and Max is grieving for Goose, she, she grabs his face and pulls him towards her. Did she do that twice? I think so. I think think she has her arm around him the whole time, too. Yes. And she's sitting close to him, and then she hugs him. And that whole time, she's very much and very obviously communicating that I love you. I am here for you. You can talk to me. I'm here to support you. Mm -hmm. So... It's. I think they did a really good job of, I guess, unknowingly, because I don't think this idea of the five love languages was even around, but her love language is absolutely physical touch. Mm-hmm. And it's very thorough. Yeah, very prevalent, especially when you do, like you did, a deep dive of what we've seen so far. Yes. As far as Max's love language, yeah, though. Yeah, I had a hard time pinning down or finding any, any evidence at all to, to point to really anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, he admits that he has a hard time talking about how he feels. So he's obviously not words of affirmation. Right. Um, Otherwise, he'd be able to just he'd be freely able to share say, those I feelings. I love you. I appreciate you. Things like that. Um, other ones, acts of service. We don't see them together enough. Yeah, I think... To see, like, the day-to-day, how he participates in the household, mm-hmm. um, receiving gifts. Maybe that's why their house is full of, like, tchotchkes and yeah. houseplants. I, I want to say that acts of service or giving gifts... What's the fourth one on the list? Quality time. So I think either acts of service giving gifts or quality time one of those yes i'm kind of thinking about quality time now the first because every conflict time... that they have is that he is leaving early to go to work and she is unhappy about that yeah perhaps part of the motivation for that is that is because quality time is how he shows his love and she's not getting that yeah because every time he gets time off from the mfp He's home with them. Yeah. Ooh, and... We don't see him going out with Goose or any of the other guys. No. Like, he and goes home. the very first scene we see at home with the saxophone, that's very much quality time. Yeah. He is 100% devoted to her. Yeah. And the family. I guess Sprague counts because he's in between the light of sight. I would say... Between Max and Jesse. I would say Max is like 93% Jesse, 7% Sprague in yeah. that scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But he, I mean, he only has eyes for her. And you can, I think we noted it. You can see in that scene how much he loves her. I think he's a quality time guy. Hmm. And then he quits his job and immediately goes on vacation. Yeah. And has this time only with Jesse, no Sprague. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think he's a quality time guy. That makes sense. Yep. That makes sense to me. Because we never see him really come back with many gifts. I mean, granted, their apartment is full of, of just stuff. things. Yes. Stuff and things. And then, as far as acts of service are concerned, yeah, he made her coffee in the morning. But that was like one thing. And one point of data does not create a line. <laughs> yes. And I know, I mean, with Jesse, we actually have many points of data, but I feel like we don't get as much with Max. Yeah. You know, because his life is so consumed by his 
chosen profession. Yes. His uh, his work there. Interesting. I'm glad we were able to suss out his love language. Mm-hmm. So Max continues talking. So he mentions that he always counted on Jesse to understand his feelings. But then he st- starts talking about when he was a kid. And he says, when I was a kid, me and my father used to go for long walks. I remember staring down at his shoes. They were special shoes, brown, and he always kept them really shiny. And I think you had a problem with the idea of brown shoes being special. Yes. Well, I don't have a problem with brown shoes being special. I just don't think that shiny brown shoes make shoes special. Mm. I'm wondering what's special about the shoes. Yeah. Do they have some sort of significance specific significance to max's dad or to max or are they like stylistically special like are they particularly fancy Mm. or or are they special like orthopedic shoes yeah i feel like we can rule out the idea of an orthopedic or forrest gump style shoe because i really do agree because i know that's a little it's a little on the nose yeah i just can't I don't know why Max calls them special shoes. Um, I think that the fact that they were shiny was what kind of made them stand out to Max. And I think especially he probably grew up in a really dusty area because Australia Because is all of Australia dusty. is dusty? Um, I, I don't want to say all of Australia is dusty. But I would say a large portion of Australia is dusty. And if you are the kind of person that can maintain a shine on a brown shoe despite being in a dusty environment, I think that would make the shoes pretty special. So the shoes were special because his father took special care of them. I think that's exactly what Okay, when you put it like that, I like that. Yeah, because Max being young, he would be more on level seeing his father's shoes and the fact that his father devoted so much time and care and attention Mm -hmm. to keep up that appearance... To make sure that every time they went out, he had shiny shoes. Yes. Which I kind of parallel a bit to when we very, very first met Max and he was taking care of his car. Yeah, he was very meticulous about it. Yes. And he took special care to make sure everything was in place, that everything was cleaned up, Mm -hmm. that all of his equipment was in place. You can kind of see, as he's talking about his father, how what his father did affected Max and the man that he became. Yes. And I find it interesting, this is really the only scene that we get that mentions Max's family, like his parents or his extended family. And just so we can get it all out, he goes on to say, you know, his father was tall and he used to take long strides and there I'd be alongside him just trying to keep up with him. I don't think he ever knew how proud I felt of him. So I think that says very definitively that Max's parents are have passed. Yes. So that the, the only people... Yeah, so the only people he has in the world are Jesse Sprague and the MFP. Mm-hmm. And that that might explain. Well, we don't, we weren't looking for an explanation, but I think that says something about how Max feels about Goose's death. Yeah, he has already experienced death in his close family, and the family he has left is somewhat limited. And so, to lose your best friend, which is, I, you know, barring your wife, the closest person to you. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem particularly close to his son. So, I mean, even... How how close okay. can you get to a toddler? Though? That's that's what I was going to say. Okay, I'm not, I'm not poking at him not being around. I'm saying he's a one-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can't necessarily carry a conversation with a toddler. Right. Like, they can talk and they can say things sometimes, but... Right. Probably most of it's gibberish, or at least 
so muddled that you can't understand it. Right. I also really like the parallel, the thought of Max walking next to him, his dad. And he has to work hard to keep up because his dad was so tall and took long strides. Mm. And he looked up to his dad and he was proud of his dad. And now we see Max as a grown man who is, you know, the best officer in the MFP. He's continuing to work hard to keep up with the people in his life that he respects. Yeah. Whether that be he, whether it's unclear if he worked that hard for his dad or if he had a father replacement in Fifi. Yeah. And that he worked that hard to be a good cop for Fifi. Yeah, Max definitely strikes me as the kind of person that works hard and becomes the best in order to impress someone just sounds cheap i don't want right. to necessarily say and that it's he's not, trying to no and i don't think it's do it like that yeah but. i don't think he does it in a cheap way at all i think it's very it's respectful I think, and i want to be the man that you are yeah i think he wants people to be are, proud of him yes you know so as i was listening to him talk about his father the story kind of struck me as odd and not in a content way but more in just how it's used in the movie because i feel like in modern films you know because this is like a 40 year old movie in modern films a screenwriter will take an instant like this to just fill it with exposition or say something that as a movie watcher you're like well they already probably heard this story a million times Mm -hmm. why is the main character telling the side character the same thing again and i like that it's not that it's not that blatant here like this is a reminiscent story from max's youth that he's sharing with jesse as a way to illustrate how it's hard for him to share his feelings yes it's not some sort of information dump Right, that she would have heard before. And there's actually not a lot of information in there at all. It's not necessarily a specific story. He's communicating an experience. Right. It's not this one time we were walking down the road. It's we used to go for long walks. And these this is what these walks were like. And this is how those walks made me feel. And it wouldn't surprise me if Jesse had never heard anything like this before. Right. Because it is so... Mundane. Yeah. I mean, if that's just a thing that they did, you know, those aren't really the stories that you tell. Yeah, because even if they were talking about their parents when they first met or something like that, that's not a story that you tell on a first date. Right. You know. So tell me about your parents. Well, we used to go on long walks. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I just say, I like at the end there where Max talks about how he's not sure if he ever told his father how proud of him he was. And and it made me think of the fact that Max is a father in and of himself. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, is he just trying to emulate what his father did with him? Because it sounds like Max's dad was the kind where he was just a good example for Max to look up to. It doesn't sound like his dad was particularly... Hands-on? Hands-on or anything. It's just, I'm here, you're here, come on, let's go. You know, I didn't really necessarily give off the idea that max's dad was always holding his hand like they would be there walking together but at the same time max's dad was there as you know a figure to follow yes instead of someone that was carrying max and so like i said it's hard to have a deep relationship with a toddler i would assume as someone who's never had a toddler um but i imagine that as sprague would get older that max would continue to you know, emulate the experience that he had with his dad. Yeah. Yes, I agree. 
I'm thinking about it, like wrapping my head around what you're saying, and I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, we always like to poke fun that they're always neglecting Sprague and putting him places and forgetting about him and whatnot. <laughs> um, we talked about that a lot yesterday, <laughs> and I didn't want to go into another tirade about where's the baby, but I mean, this is a, this is a prime example. Like, raise your hand if you completely forgot about Sprague as we were talking about Max and Jesse. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I, okay, I so much forgot about Sprog that it didn't even occur to me to draw the comparison between Sprog and Max and Max and his dad. Mm-hmm. Completely forgot about that. <laughs> and I think, I, I think we've talked before about how would the story be different if Sprog wasn't even there. Yeah. This is one of those instances where I don't think that there's any connection between Sprog and Max and Max and his dad. They are drawing no comparisons. We are not meant to read anything into Sprog and Max based on Max and his dad. There's nothing there. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure what uh, Kennedy and Miller wanted us to hear in this scene is that Max had great admiration for his dad. Max never expressed that admiration when his dad was alive. Right. The relationship isn't the point. The point is he didn't say it, and he doesn't want to continue down that path of not saying it, which will get covered in tomorrow. Yeah, he's got that twinge of regret. Yes. At a missed opportunity. Yes. So, yeah, there's going to be more of that on Monday. Lots more feelings on Monday. More feelings. So, that... That pretty much brings us to the end of the week. I think so. So this upcoming weekend is Easter weekend. Happy Easter. And it's not just Easter in America. It's also Easter in Australia. I looked it up and made sure. Excellent. That it actually is (laughs) Happy Easter for our Australian listeners as well as our North American listeners and anywhere else that may be listening. Easter is, is not decided upon by governments. It's decided upon by the Catholic Church. Exactly. Then it's universal. You know, wherever the, the... Christian influence has seeped. Yes. Easter is sure to follow. <laughs> so, yep, it's it's one of those one of those holidays where we get gussied up and actually go to church. Yep. Meet up with my parents and your parents and take up a giant long pew. Yep. And I get to buy a new dress. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's pretty much it. I, I don't think really so. have anything else. So, over the weekend, have a great Easter, spend time with family, look for colored eggs. And if nothing else, go to the grocery store the day after Easter and buy as much Easter discount candy as you want because, you know, you're worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and and if you're just sitting there waiting for the candy to go on sale, you can go check out our website, which is madmaxminute.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash madmaxminute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 55. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. Motorbikes and men, take me to the end.